good evening, all. My name is Michael Colin, and I'm ravaged by allergies, so bear with me. Uh, nevertheless, I welcome you to this week's holiday edition of a Messian podcast. Uh, well considered, the unofficial start of summer, Memorial Day, Memorial Day weekend are here. First and foremost, Memorial Day is when we honor those who gave their all in service to their con- to this country. And on behalf of a Messian podcast and this evening's guest with us, uh, thank you to all who paid the ultimate sacrifice and our heartfelt sympathies are with your respective families and loved ones. Uh, and, and, and thank you all to those still in harm's way. Uh, stay safe, and we wish to see you home soon. Uh, that said, let's get over to baseball. And uh, in terms of the game we love so much, uh, I liken this season so far uh, very simply to a roller coaster ride. And being that I live here in Bentonhurst, Brooklyn, you know, uh, the season has been as harrowing and thrilling as the cyclone at Coney Island. Uh, so the holidays weekend is the uh, first, what I consider the first checkpoint of the season. So let's get with it. Let's get everybody introduced and let's get on with uh, talking about the amazing Mets. First, let me bring on uh, the proprietor of the Metsian podcast, Sam Maxwell. Hello, sir. Hello, everybody. Uh, happy to be here. It, it, I mean, there's no better metaphor than the cyclone. You're absolutely right, Mike. And, uh, Again, I, I echo what you said about Memorial Day, and thank you for uh, your service out there. And it, it's a uh, heavy heart for me this weekend because it's the, the year anniversary uh, of my dad's death. And, you know, he, he was in the VA. He was in the Veteran Affairs Hospital when he he died. And, and it's, it's, you know, it, it was very crazy to have happened on Memorial Day weekend, but it you know it, it thanks him for his service, thanks everybody else for the service, and now uh, you know we have to just keep on pushing, as they say. Yes, sir. And uh, the third party to this operation, Rich Sparago. You had a hell of a day today, haven't you? Yeah, <laughs> my day began in Kentucky. I uh, had a had a flight delay and uh, traffic, but I'm home, ready to talk some mess with you guys. And uh, and Mike, I know you're you're far too humble to say it, but I know you are also a a veteran of our armed services. So thank you, sir, in particular for your service, and to all veterans and current and those currently serving. Um, and you know we should definitely you know enjoy your Memorial Day weekend, folks. But but please remember what this is about. If you see a veteran, thank him or her. And uh, and as Mike said earlier, remember those who paid the ultimate price. Uh, well said, sir. Very well said. Uh, I will not. I, I will only take credit so far. I have not seen combat. Uh, I was a peacetime veteran back in the 80s, 85 through 90. Uh, you know, who's to say what my life would have turned out had I stayed and not met my wife prior? You know, at the same time, that probably led to my my separation from the army. That that was my decision. But uh, I do know people who. Passed away, friends. Uh, so, yeah, Rich, as a veteran, I, I could go on, but I won't. I, I will just say, you know, uh, it's Fleet Week for people out and about this weekend. If you see one of the guys in uniform, just wave hello, shout across the street, say, we appreciate you. That's all it takes. I, I assure you, uh, you know, th- that it's, it's, it's appreciated. Little things like that, uh, just a handshake, an acknowledgement, a wink of the eye, a hello is more than enough. Uh, you know, I, I saw something very 
it was a comedy skit. I'm not going to say who, what context, or whatnot, <laughs> but it kind of went off on baby boomers a little bit as the only generation that stood on their shoulders coming back. I don't know why I threw that out there, but it's something to contemplate on this Memorial Day. Let's treat our men and women with respect. Uh, that said, let me bring on our featured guest this evening, a very good friend of the show. We love having him on and talking Mets baseball with us. It's Gary McDonald's from Mets Musings. Please, Gary, take all the time you need. Give us a, uh, as we say, shameless plug. And how you been, friend? I have been good, and thank you. And so happy to be with you guys this evening and talk some Mets baseball. And and I want to ditto what Rich said about the veterans and, and people should remember what this day truly is all about. And thank you for your service, Michael. And thank all the veterans out there that keep us safe and and allow us to do shows like Mets Musings. You know, uh, some countries, the, the Wilpons might be shutting us down, but uh, <laughs> we're... we're <laughs> We're allowed to do this, and uh, though Apple tried to shut us down five years ago uh, at MLB, but uh, we're still doing it and still speaking our minds, and it's, as always, a pleasure to be here with you all. Let's get right into it then. Uh, let's talk uh, amazings. A third of the se- well, we're coming up on a third of the season near complete, uh, so let's give these guys a report card. Let's give them a good going over. And perhaps a, a tune-up if we need. They're 24 and 25 on the season, one game under 500. Like I said, we're not exactly at that third point yet. Uh, but like I opened up, it's been a roller coaster season. Let's uh, let's jump right in. Let me put it to you this way: We know what we left off last week saying that the Mets needed to feed on teams like Miami, and we know what happened. Uh, they got swept by the Marlins, and then they come home and they sweep the Nationals. We're five and three against the Marlins this season, you know. And in the in the game of averages, well, you know, what if those three losses were dispersed and those wins were dispersed differently? We'd be having a different conversation. But uh, you know, as fans, we, we love being reactionary. I think that's what we do best. <laughs> so I just figured I'd throw that out there. Gary, we'll start with you. The season, third waypoint. Here we are, checkpoint number one. How do you feel about the New York Metropolitan Baseball Club? Ah, uh, well, I, I mean, I'm, you know, I was all set to do a big rant this week on my show, Mets Musings, and then here they go and they go sweep Washington. Um, I, I really think. And I feel that this team is a um, uh, a team that seems to play to their opponent. And what I mean is they'll play tough against a tough opponent. And a team like Miami, they'll play down to them for some reason. I, I can't explain it. I don't know why. It's just a feeling that I have. But it just seems that this is what they seem to do. And, uh, you know, the Nationals are just such a mess. And, and But I think the Mets and the Nationals are kind of on the same footing. They're both like 500 teams. And I really think that's what the Mets are right now. Well, of course they are right now. But I think they really are just a 500 team. Without that, that dominant pitching constantly – they're going to be in the middle of the pack. I can't see them breaking out. I don't see anybody 
uh, on that team right now other than Alonzo and maybe Conforto if he gets hot. But I don't know if they'll carry them to the next step, much like Cespedes did. And I hate to mention his name with all that's going on with him. But, uh, you know, when he came in 2015, how he pushed them to that next level, I don't see anybody here uh, like that, uh, you know, like Don Clendenin did when the Mets got him in 69, 50 years ago. Uh, I got to get that plug in for the 69 Mets, you know. Um, well so, um, I just don't see that. And uh, I, I think it's going to be this kind of year again. I think it's, it's uh, going to be up and down. They're going to be real bad and real good. And then I'd like to see more consistency. I'd like to see five out of six or four out of seven. Uh, Well, no, not not four out of seven. Better than that. But you know what I mean. Uh, I I just want to win series, but I don't want to get swept and then win four and then lose four and then win five. You know what I mean? It's kind of a – it's kind of a crazy roller coaster, and it gets you—it gets you nuts as a fan, because you, your your anger is getting there when they drop three to Miami, and then they sweep Washington, and uh, you don't know what to think. So, um, I, I think you described it, it perfectly. It's it's like the cyclone in Brooklyn. It's just uh, an up and down, up and down. Sam, I'm going to go to you because I know you want to take a quick break and get some grub. Uh, your impressions of the first third of the season? You really can't say it any perfectly. Uh, they're 24 and 25, and I think they're, that's very representative of who they are. Uh, they need to shore up the eighth inning. Uh, they need to stop having these spurts where they're not consistent. What What was so nice about these last few games was the resiliency. You know, they they – uh, they they were at the brink of possibly getting their manager fired. Obviously, um, there were enough rumors that management felt they needed to give the seal of approval, which seems at you know at first just seems like the, the death knell. Um, and and the the players held a players only meeting. Uh, that first game, you know, they held a lead. Uh, that they were able to, because of Dominic Smith, increase, which, you know, I think was the theme of the Dominic Smith and the bench players and some of these complimentary guys was the theme of the entire series. And and you obviously had every game they uh, continued to perform, they continued to bounce back when they gave up the lead. You know, the first thing you're thinking about, especially like on a day like today, you're thinking, well, the magic can't continue after Gazelman gave it up. You're just thinking to yourself, how are they supposed to keep bouncing back day in, day out? But then you got Dominic Smith with that double to open the the uh, the, the inning, and then uh, obviously a bunch of stuff happened in between, but Wilson Ramos gets that intentional walk, and Carlos Gomez, you know, comes out of nowhere with, with a, a, a home run, and you know, I think we'll get more in depth in terms of Carlos Gomez in, in a little bit. I'm sure as we as we uh, uh, narrow our our broad purposes right now. But I, there's some good signs the way they're bouncing back. 
but they've got to shore up that eighth inning. And at some point, if this is who they're going to be and they're going to hang around, they're going to need a Don Clendenin. They're going to need a Yohannes Cespedes. And, and as disappointing as the Yohannes Cespedes news is and the way that contract has turned out, I still think of him as one of my favorite players of all time. And I don't think – I think you still make that contract uh, 100 times out of 100 every single time. So they, they're going to have to think about that type of move at some point. Um, even if their their uh, their farm system spinned out because they made some of those types of moves, Robinson Cano could be one of those moves if he can get healthy and if he could perform up to his baseball card. So there's a lot of different ways that this season can go on, uh, and I just want some consistency out of them. That's all. I hear you, Rich. Let's tackle the specifics. <laughs> of what happened in Miami uh, in round two. For now, you know, let's just keep throwing some digits out there. Let me give you some background music. The Mets were 15 and 14 in March and April. They're currently 9 and 11 in May. The funny thing is, against the National League East, they have a winning record. They're 18 and 13, and they don't have a losing record against any of the teams in their division. Uh, They're 13 and 8 at home, something which, uh, you know, they've had a problem with winning at home, and the National League is still their kryptonite. Uh, excuse me, the National League Central still seems to be their kryptonite. Uh, they get swept in Miami, and they come home and sweep the, the, the Washington Nationals. Rich, what do you make of it? Well, you know, I, it, listening to Gary and, and, and Sam, I don't have a lot to add. They pretty much said what I would say, which is this team reeks of being a 500 team. You know, they will look good at times, and you'll be like I feel right this very minute. You'll feel great about the New York Mets, can't wait to go to my next game, all of that. But wind the clock back four very short days, and I, I was ready to jump off the Whitestone Bridge. I mean, I was just like, I'm never renewing my tickets. I, they, they've done this to me for 45 years. I can't take it anymore. You know, and, and that's what a 500 team does to you. You know, they don't win one day and lose the next day and become 500. They go through a five-game winning streak where all looks good, followed by a four-game losing streak where all looks bad. And, and the pitching goes up, the hitting goes down. The hitting goes up, the pitching goes down. Everything I'm saying is exactly what this team has done this year. They have all the characteristics of your classic 500 team, and which leads me to my next statement, which is not a whole lot unique from what Gary and Sam said. They need something to get them to break out of that 500, out of that 500 place they're in. My opinion, they need a strong bat. They need one more really strong bat, like a Cespedes or someone like that. They need, need to bring someone in from outside the organization. Um, I know we'll get more into that, but I think this team is currently constituted, can be fun, they can be frustrating, but they're basically 500. Yeah. Uh, we'll keep Gomez and Rajah Davis and Cespedes and those guys in the next round. Let's revisit that Marlin series. Uh, wow, what a disaster. But I, I think – it was productive to the extent where the media in mass has turned on the will parts. And I think that's good for us fans. But let's get back to the field. Let's get back to Robinson Cano. Let's get back to those two specific instances of non-hustle 
his justifications and his overall philosophy and his approach to baseball. And, and you know, lo and behold, he, he tries running out of, uh, you know, legging out a double, what was it, two days ago, and, and he pulled his quad. Uh, and that's that's something exactly he, he was saying. That's exactly what I've been looking to avoid. Uh, funny. So let, let's revisit the apocalypse, Gary. What were you feeling against this Marlins team? <laughs> well, I I have to be honest. I I got to the point where I I followed the games on my phone, but I I was watching the PGA Championship because <laughs> you know. I, I just got so frustrated they couldn't get a hit, and I had a, a good friend of mine uh, uh, texting me the whole game. Uh, you know, don't bother watching it. Don't put it on. Um, one hit, uh, and that was the first one of the game, and one of the games shut out in two straight games. I mean, it was you know incredible, and uh, it, it, it's just so frustrating at times, and and. Like I said, I, I admit it. I, I couldn't even watch at that point. I, I switched it off, and uh, you know, and now with everybody getting hurt and and uh, Cano, uh, look, there's got to be something wrong if Cano hustles for the first time in his career and he pulls a muscle. Something doesn't connect there. Um, he's not stretching enough or something, you know. I mean, you can't just turn it on from time to time. You have to be ready to do it all the time. And I think that's what happens. And I don't know who was saying it uh, to me uh, or what I heard it on television, but, uh, you know, your body and your mind has to do it constantly because then it's not something strange to you. And un- unfortunately, Cano never really hustled, and now he gets hurt. But I'm interested to see. Um, I think they're a better team with McNeil second anyway. So I I, I I didn't like the trade in the beginning. I would have rather seen what Kalanick and Dunn could have done as they progressed through the minors. But, the, you know, that, that, that being said, it was just it was a rough weekend. Thankfully, I had something else to watch. Uh, as I also do a golf podcast, so uh, I, I was able to watch that and uh, just follow the Mets. But it 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 was a frustrating weekend, is the best I can say. Rich, check this out. I promised Coop Coop was going to join us tonight, but she fell ill. She's not feeling well, and I promised I, I told her to email some ideas anyway, and then we uh, you know massage them into the show. She brings up an excellent point. She said in the book. Uh, by Keith Hernandez in 85, which I read. Uh, he was quoted as saying that, you know, he wasn't into running out everything because he didn't want to pull a hammy or anything running out a foul ball. So, Cano, take it away. Well, I read that book, too. And, and every time Keith talks about that, I raise my eyebrows because I have, still have the book. And it's like if I ever meet the man, I would say, Keith, did, did you write this? I mean, come on, man. You know, Hernandez <laughs> basically said, you know, he played in St. Louis in the brutal heat. And in the book, he talks about how if he hits a ground ball to short in the bottom of the seventh of a, you know, when he was in St. Louis, of a, um, of a game where they're either blowing somebody out or being blown out, he's not going to bust it. He's going to save his energy. It's a sprint. It's a marathon, not a sprint. And if you remember when he was traded to the Mets, Herzog said, and I'll never forget this, he said Hernandez traded himself. 
He doesn't hustle. You know, he, he didn't bring what I wanted him to bring. He no longer fit what I wanted to do here. So he, quote, he traded himself. And and so, you know, for Keith to pick on Robbie's a bit strange. But anyway, you know, getting back to your question about what happened over the weekend, you know, Mike, I guess it comes down to where you where your opinion is on something like that. You know, if you say, look, they're going to be out, jog down the line, no problem. If that's your philosophy, fine. That's not mine. My philosophy is you. there's nothing that is excessive about being asked to run 90 feet four times a game. Cano, this is his M.O. This is M.O.'s whole career. And for him to come out and say, I thought it was foul, the count was wrong on the scoreboard, all these things, it's just, Robbie, stop talking. Just please, you're making it a lot worse. He doesn't hustle. That's his thing. The Mets went into this eyes wide open. Fine. But for him to come out and try to make excuses for it, you know, it it looks even worse. And it looks bad on the manager because obviously the manager sets the tone for, for that kind of thing. And it led to the axe being sharpened for Mickey. And I know we'll get into that later, but the, the series in Miami over the weekend, of course, I'm that idiot who watches every pitch of every game or, you know, tracks it on my phone if I'm not near a TV. And I, I, it was the low point for me in the last few years. It was so, it was so aggravating, not only losing, but, but not hustling and, and not, and getting one hit on the first pitch of the game and not getting a hit the rest of the game against a team that, you know, that's abysmal. So you put all that together, adding in the lack of hustle, it, it was the low point. Maybe that's what, and I think Sam said this earlier, maybe it had to happen. Maybe this had to happen for them to say, look, okay, we've absolutely bottomed out. What are we going to do? Are we going to fire Mickey or not? We're going to address it one way or the other, make a decision. And we're going to have this players-only meeting and address that this is unacceptable. Maybe it took that to get to the place they are now. But I'll tell you what, going through that over the weekend, I, I think it was Mike Puma who wrote, he's, he said that he's covered the Mets a very long time and he's never, ever seen the fans so outraged by the performance of the team. And I think that's accurate. I, I really do because I'm one of those people. That was my low point. I, I was beyond frustrated and aggravated with this team. So um, maybe it was something in the natural cosmic you know, series of events that had to happen to get them to emerge, okay, but it was rough. You mentioned the players-only meeting, as Sam did, uh, the front office meeting, and then there was Monday's presser. You know, and this is all within, what, a stretch of 10 days. Not a good look. Uh, Deeper into the abyss. So two things. Let's put Brody Van Wagenen through the Metzian podcast translator, see what we can come (laughs) up with. And, and and like I said before, you know, the media in mass, it seems like they've unified finally, and, and they're all just hammering the Wilpons right now. ESPN's Jeff Passan, he paints Jeff Wilpon as the master meddler. We've always suspected that, but I, I think it's important that people finally start to print this. Not just one, two, three people, but many, many writers are, are finally just airing it all out. Uh, and I'm happy to see that, you know, because for long, at least under Sandy Alderson's administration, this is my impression, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seemed like every time the fans, you know, went into outrage, they were like, ah, yeah, you know, you just, but now they're singing our song. Gary, what do you make of it? 
I, I can't believe that I'm going to stand up for the Will Bond. <laughs> you know, it, it's – we can be very fickle as fans, though. We wanted the Mets to spend some money. We wanted them to hire a general manager to think outside the box. We wanted a manager that was different from Terry Collins. And they did all of those things, and yet we're still blaming them. I Look, I've known they've done a lot of things, and they've probably meddled in the past. Um, but I'm not so sure that they can get the blame for this season and all of this. They 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 let him put together the team he wanted to put together. They spent the money. Uh, now whether or not they they did put limits on him, uh, that remains to be seen. Uh, but it, it it looks like he had a fairly free reign of everything, and yet and now we're coming down on them again. I I don't think it's entirely fair. I was not a Sandy Alderson fan. Anybody that listened to the show knows I called him Scrappy Sandy because his whole MI was to go to the uh, scrap heap and pick up whoever he could find that was cheap and hope that somebody worked out. And and I think the game had passed him by. He was into the power, and the game was still power-bent, but it was slowly evolving, as we see now, we're starting to see away from the superstars and getting more of the young guys and the owners are starting to realize instead of spending billions or millions of dollars on one player in a free agency, they maybe can get three guys that can fill three holes for the same amount of money to get the same num- same sort of production. So I, 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 again, I can't believe I'm sticking up for the will pawns, but I think it's, it's 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 a mantra now that we have as Met fans to blame them for everything. And uh, look, I interviewed somebody a few years ago that uh, I can't say who it was, but I know that he had some connection to the Mets. Uh, and he swore to me up and down, and in fact, I talked to him a couple of weeks ago, that if... Jeff Wilpon was running this team that they would be spending money like crazy. Now, I, you know, I'll just throw that out there. I don't know if it's true. I don't know if he meddled. But look at the statement Terry Collins made that he came in in the dugout at, uh, in his office and the lineup was on his desk. So, uh, you know, and that was the same ownership but a different general manager. Is it coming from Jeff Wilpon? I don't think so. I don't think he's making up the lineup. I think it's coming from the general manager. I could be wrong. I could be 100% wrong. But I, I think we're, we're still stuck that, uh, you know, in spring training, we were all happy because the, the team looked good. They had a young general manager. He was making all these deals. He was signing these players, and they had some depth, and we had, you know, uh, better players at better positions, and the bullpen was going to be great. And now it comes out, and the bullpen's terrible. None of his free agents' uh, signings, his big trade is not working so far. Uh, the free agent signings have not panned out, except for J.D. Davis has been the only bright spot, really. Uh, you know, he traded minor he, he depleted somewhat of the minor leagues. Not entirely, but uh, some big pieces he got rid of. 
It's the Will Pond's fault. I just think they're an easy target now, and I, I, I don't think that we as fans should uh, really just concentrate on that. Um, there are bigger targets. I, I, I you know, um, the the fact that the, the minor leagues, these guys don't know fundamentals when they come up here, and that they had to bench Rosario last week. I mean, last season to teach him how to bunt. Uh, or they had to bench Cano because he didn't hustle out a ball. Okay, he didn't come through the minors. But uh, it just seems that there's something lacking throughout baseball because he came from a different organization and he didn't learn how to hustle. Um, I, I don't know what it is, but I think we're entirely too focused on blaming the Will Ponds for everything and – and again, I could be 100% wrong. It wouldn't be the first time. It's not going to be the last. But uh, I, I just think it's too easy a target to say, oh, it's the Wilpon's fault right away. Uh, I, I'm in that school of thought. Uh, I, I think, at least my reasoning, I think I'm justified. But, you know, I, I'm, I'm more than happy to disagree with you on that one. Uh, but, Rich, I think... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Rich, I think we're all in agreement that the weekend was definitely a crisis. BBW oh, yeah. stepped, up. Yeah. stepped up and he and he owned it. You know, as far as Callaway, he said he's my manager going forward. He's the Mets manager going forward. But put that in quotes when he said, you know, for the foreseeable future. Sometimes we know that to be a kiss of death. Uh, he recalibrated his team expectations. And, you know, he basically put this on himself. He says, look, I constructed this thing, uh, so I'm ultimately responsible. Uh, he owned it. I'll, I'll say that. Your opinions, uh, the crisis that was before we move on to happier things. Well, you know, just to tail on to what Gary said, I, I'm kind of in the middle with it, too, because, you know, look, Steinbrenner medals, we all know that. So to say that the Wolfons are the first owners in the history of, of baseball to medal. You know, look at Charlie Finley. So there is precedent, and I don't think they medal as, or Jeff medals as much as those guys did. Uh, probably he, you know, he's not qualified, and he probably interjects his unqualified opinion more than he should. But I don't think it's at an egregious level, so I'm kind of in the middle there. But my, here's my take on it, okay? And, and I, I'm very interested to hear both of you what you think of this. What I heard when Brody did the press conference – when he said, Nikki's our manager now, Mickey's our manager going forward, here's what I heard. What I heard was, look, we're not hiring, we're not going to pay two managers, people, right? So we're not firing Mickey here and bringing another manager because we are not going to pay two managers. So that's where I see the Wilpon influence. And I really believe that was the case. Because when you look at everything that happened in Miami, all of that, pointed to the manager, the hustle, you know, the lack of hustle, the deadness that the team had. Those are the manager's responsibilities, to, to motivate the team, to get them to play, to get them to execute fundamentally. All those things weren't happening. When do managers get fired? Managers get fired when expectations are not lived up to in reality. That's another thing that was happening. So fast forward to Monday. We get this impassioned speech that Mickey's our manager. Well, it doesn't make logical sense that they're not firing Mickey. No way does it make logical sense. You couldn't have watched what was happening and said it made sense to keep that man employed. Okay, but they're going to. So what I saw was Brody saying words that he had to say because he was told 
you are not hiring another manager. You're not bringing Girardi because Girardi's going to cost a ton of money, and we're not going to pay two managers. That's what I saw. What do you guys think of that? Sam, take it away. Well, you, you, you know, I was saying on last week's podcast that two years in a row they seem unprepared for the 162-game schedule. They get off to a hot start, and they've been falling flat after that. And, yeah, that, as far as I'm concerned, is on the manager. Um, I think that – I think I'm, like, in between – um, all of you guys regarding this, you know, I hear where Rich is coming from, um, and that that was the popular thing to do right after the weekend was write the articles about how metal and Jeff is. I, 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 in fact, I think I called him metal and Jeff in the post. So it's uh, I, 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 anytime anybody throws out Girardi. Rich is absolutely right. I mean, these guys are going to cost an arm and a leg, and we know as of now that the the man, that they're not going to pay a manager that much money. The the bottom line is right now they have kept payroll exactly the same since their World Series run in 2015. They've increased it a little bit to 158 million dollars or whatever the number is, and it stayed the same. Like you pointed out, Mike that Brody moved a lot of pieces around, but he kept payroll the same. Um, at the same time, you know, if I, – I, I even stated it like like it's lawyer talk in many ways. He's, he's, he's the manager for the foreseeable future. But, you know, the, the way I phrase it is that Mickey could take a shit on Jeff Wilpon's desk tomorrow, and that's most likely going to be a fireable effect. You can't just say that you know, under no circumstances – Mickey Callaway is going to get fired. So um, I, I, I think that there could always be the possibility. I mean, if, if the writing is on the wall, then you're going to have to do what you need to. But, it, you know, they aren't where the, the Nationals are. And Dave, Dave Martinez is probably feeling the heat, and we saw that he was trying to get his team to uh, to to play with a little bit more life after getting thrown out today, uh, and unfortunately it backfired uh, because the bullpen's so bad. Um, but you know, I I think that the bottom line is the players responded this week. We have to see how they go uh, going forward. I always find you know considering the city field has been such a black hole when it comes to this home team and winning. I, I think it is a good sign this year that the players, and especially the youth, are performing well in front of the home fans. Um, and considering that a lot of what we're talking about has to do with the way the team was prepared, they they, they stepped up this week uh, when they saw that they were not uh, they were not making their manager look good. True. Uh, and like I said, I think we're all in agreement. That was indeed a crisis. Monday was the presser. We put BBW through the translator, and they respond with a four-game sweep of the Washington Nationals. A lot of that involved a change in personnel. Rich, you've been clamoring to have Rajai Davis promoted. You got it, baby. Uh, Carlos Gomez, we spoke to him. I think you were the same person to bring that up as well. You got it, baby. 
but there are still questions as to why some of these subpar personnel are on this roster. I put that on BBW. That's an aside. That's a digression on my part. But let's have fun with this national series for a quick moment, a sweep. That'll make you feel good anytime. A good elixir, a good bounce back. Uh, how much of Monday's crisis management do you think played a part in that? And uh, your impressions of Cano starting, not starting Monday. To me, I thought that was a strange coincidence. I thought that was predetermined just to avoid having the fans rain booze down upon their featured player. Mr. Mack, take it away, sir. Uh, I, I wasn't surprised that Cano didn't start. I, I, I would agree that that's probably it coming home that they didn't want the uh the the fans all upset and uh to boo but um you know the only thing you have to take away from this series for me is again are they that good or are the national bullpen that bad i mean nationals had the lead and the bullpen blew it i think at all four games practically um so is it the uh, you know, was it Brody's stocking the minor leagues with some of these veteran guys and them coming up now? Uh, that certainly helped because they knew what they they know what they're doing. They knew what they're getting into. Uh, but I I don't know. It's it, it's it's hard to judge because it's just so the 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 Nationals bullpen is so awful. And even the team, it it just doesn't seem like the same team. I know they they've lost a couple of guys, but I mean, there's a lot of the same people there, and and they just <laughs> it, 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 I was more shocked at the way they played, I think, than than anything else. But I think they're in a situation where again they've got another bad manager that uh, can't get the job done. They've done this with Matt Williams. They've gone through this with uh, uh, Dusty Baker. He won a division with them. Uh, Dave Martinez. Uh, uh, I mean, you know, they they have a problem picking managers, but um, it was great to win the four games. I mean, it was definitely something to buoy the spirits and and to uh, get you excited. The next couple of series are going to be very important. They've got the Tigers coming in. They should clean up on them. And then then they got the Dodgers, and I think we're going to be able to get a better picture of where they're at when they play that the Dodger team. And, and and here's something. What happens if they go on a hot streak with these players and then the other guys start filtering back? Do you put them right back in the lineup or do you stay with the hot hand? Me, I stay with the hot hand personally. Rich, I'm going to open up the floor with a wide range of things and you can take it wherever you will and you will be our transition. Uh, again, I mentioned Carlos Gomez, uh, Rajar Davis. These were transactions coming into the National Series. Uh, good penicillin, man. Uh, nothing more, you know, uh, penicillin. Uh, let's talk about injuries. Jeff McNeil, hamstring, Cano, quad, Conforto, concussion. I'd like an update about him because I just don't know. If you guys do, please fill us in. Nemo. Uh, Nemo. I always say Nemo. That's a bad habit of mine. Nemo. Next. <laughs> Uh, so, you know, the injury bug is coming around, uh, and here we are. But uh, Rajah Davis, I know, Rich, you wanted him up. You got him. 
He got here on Uber from all the way from Lehigh Valley. So, uh, excuse me. Sam, Sam's going to have to tell us how, how that might have went and what they spent all that time talking about. But, Rich, take it away. So, you know, to give you the update on Conforto, he's eligible to come off the IL today. I guess he's on the seven-day concussion IL, but uh, he's obviously not ready yet. And he is throwing. He's running a little bit, you know, like half speed. Uh, I believe he's hitting already. So it's a long way of saying that he's making progress. I personally would not expect to see him this weekend from what I'm seeing, if I read the tea leaves correctly. I'm not sure they'll want to put him on a plane out to L.A. So it might be another till the next homestand until we see Conforto again, because I know they want to go slowly with him. You know, concussions are very, um, very delicate. So that's the update on Conforto. And and I'll get to your, your, your stuff, Mike, here. You know, as I thought about it today, the Mets t- – take Nemo, by way of example. I hate to pick on Brandon, but let's take Nemo. Um, here's a guy who basically was a black hole in the lineup. Now, I know he still had a respectable OBP at about 340, but that's way down from 404 last year. He was hitting the, at the Mendoza line when he, when he got hurt. And he was striking out at an alarming rate. So you never want to see someone get hurt, but look what happened. Nimmo goes out. You bring in a guy like Gomez, who, yes, he had the heroics today. Look at him jumping around and going nuts. So here went a player who was not productive. We all like Nimmo. That's not the point. He was not productive, and he went because of injury. What came in was someone who is energizing and who they caught lightning in a bottle. I realize Gomez is only hitting 188, but he's had a couple of very big hits lately. You know, he ran with his shoe off today and all that stuff. So you brought in some life there, right? The Rajai Davis thing at a time when the team needed to smile, needed a little bit of positive news, you know, that kind of thing after the weekend in Miami, the whole Uber thing and Davis hitting through and home run, they brought that element in. Um, and, yes, it came from injury, which is never good, but it just so happens that these elements that it opened the door for these elements to come in, and right now it's working. Now I and thank you for suggesting you know that I, I have wanted those guys here as bench players because to me they fit the role perfectly. They're both veterans who should be your fourth and fifth outfielders, um, and they got here by injury. But it, but at the moment it does seem to be working. Now, but the bigger question is what you said earlier. You hit the nail on the head. I was talking to my daughter about it before the show. What do they do when their guys start to come back? Personally, I think Nimmo should go to Syracuse. I think he is lost, and when he's ready to play, Syracuse. Because right now, you don't want to put him on the bench. That's what these two veterans are for. Uh, they have other decisions to make. McNeil comes off. So what does that mean? Guillorme or Hetcheverria goes? Okay. Cano, when, he, when he's ready, whichever one of Guillorme or Hetcheverria is still here, that person probably goes. But you have to be careful because, you know, you, you could have a nice little dynamic here because what I'm seeing is through this injury situation, people have found roles that they should be in, like Gomez and Davis. And I want to be careful about upsetting that nice rhythm where you've got the hungry, you know, the veterans who are happy to be here, happy in the role they're in. Yes, I know these guys were starters, and it's going to be a, a lot of – a, a very strong test of Brody to figure out what he does when these guys are, start to come back because there's a bunch of them. It's not one or two guys. You know, it's like four or five. And you have to think about what's right for them, what's right for the team, what's right for the chemistry. And it's going to be very interesting to see how they handle it. 
And, and now they. Over the last, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Sam. I just wanted to say now they've added uh, 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 Aaron Althair from the Giants. So uh, there's another veteran they're going to throw into the mix. Sorry. Didn't mean to interrupt. No, not at all. Not at all. Sam. No, I was just going to say apparently I need to start driving around the Lehigh Valley. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But I I think the ultimate. Somebody gets in your car in Lehigh Valley and says, okay, take me to Subi Field. What's running through your mind? You're like, damn, that's a far away. (laughs) Yeah, but you're thinking, you know, I mean, some some folks don't want to go out of their zone, comfort zone. You know, like, I, 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 people understand that sometimes, like, when I got taken from Jersey City to Windsor, Connecticut, the person texted me beforehand and said, I'm going to Connecticut. Is that okay? And I said, yeah. I had never gotten a ride like that, and I was ready to see what it was all about. You know, right? I, I think that maybe Rajai Davis did that ahead of time. Maybe he didn't. All I know is that that's probably $200 in my pocket that I very much need. Bottom bottom line. <laughs> How about that Carlos Gomez? How about Dave Martinez kicking dirt? Old school. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> oh, that was fantastic. Any other impressions over the last four games, Sam? Well, I, I think you guys are all right about those roles, you know. Um, and going back to the Altair, I think that that it's clear that, you know, once he was available, and the problem is obviously that Altair's never been what uh, he, he – he's kind of like, like the Phillies' Darno, even though Darno used to be on the Phillies at some point. I only mean that in terms of, of uh, you know, expectations not met. Who's that other guy? Dominic Brown is another one who never met expectations for the Phillies. And uh, Altair, it's a move that makes total sense because now they need a body in Syracuse. Uh, And possibly another lightning in a bottle situation. So I think that Echeveria, he had a big hit the other night. Uh, In fact, last night, yeah, last night he had a major hit. Um, I think he's a good a person to be in that backup uh, shortstop role. Um, something that we can segue over to as well is that Ahmed Rosario has been much better in the field lately uh, and, and including some dynamic plays. Um, I mean, you know, it, it's going to be interesting to see the way they miss McNeil because he's been such a crucial element, even if he's taken a, a bit of a slide lately. But, you know, were you, as, as much as I think he can hit, uh, 320, were we really expecting him to hit 360 the whole year? So, uh, I, another impression about the series is that Pete Alonso needs to tighten up his his swing. Only, you know, he's he's so impressive. He's got 16 home runs. He's almost at 40 RBIs for the year. And I really think he's going to hit at least 35 to 40 home runs. He's got to watch that high strike. He's got to seriously watch that high strike. I was happy to see that he got a sack fly today because last, uh, either it was earlier on in the game or uh, yesterday at some point where all we needed was a sack fly and unfortunately he struck out. 
you know, I, I think that he needs to remind himself to shorten his swing again because maybe he's getting a little too home run happy knowing that it, it's what is getting him talked about. Um, but it, it's another thing, the young, the young core stepping up majorly both on the field and in the clubhouse. And, you know, we're, we're, we're dogging on Robinson, you know, Tom Frazier, you know, you got. It, I know that he's been hitting lately, but we're talking about moves to be made when some of these guys come back. You know, uh, Dominic Smith hit the double today, and Todd Frazier seizures that. I think he was the next up after Dominic Smith. It's just like talk about a momentum killer, man. I, I know he was in the press this week, and he's been getting some hits, but right now you can't justify Todd Frazier on the roster. You know, getting strikeout after strikeout. And the same with you, what you were saying about Brandon Nimmo. You know, he's striking out too much. He's got to, he's got to figure something out in Syracuse. But I think if Todd Frazier is as much of a black hole when some of these guys start coming back, you got to seriously consider dropping this contract. I think Todd Frazier is going to wind up getting played off the roster. Other people are going to step up somewhat. Uh, and they're going to really force management's hands just to clear them out and get these other people there, uh, you know, regulate their playing time. Today was a fun seesaw game. Let's transition real quickly before we cut this off. Let's get to pitching. Matt's pitched in and out of trouble all day. He was aided by some double play balls. He struck out a bunch of guys. It gave up a lot of hits. Uh but the pitching staff as a whole, you know what? I'll just keep it to the to the top four, the fearsome foursome as I like to call them or not call them sometimes. Thor has put in four consecutive very, very good starts. Not quality starts, very, very good starts. Match is what match is. And I have another little tidbit from Coop, and she emails me with regards to pitching. She throws this out there. Do we think the Grom is tipping pitches or his mechanics are off? So I'll leave that to you guys. And, uh, Rich, why don't you start this one off? Well, when you think about the pitching, it, it's kind of what we started the podcast with. A 500 team has inconsistent starting pitching usually. You know, they'll have some great ones, they'll have some bad ones, and that's where the Mets have been. You know, look at DeGrom. He goes out there against Scherzer, and he matches Scherzer. And he pitched just as well as Scherzer in that game. Yes, I realize DeGrom gave up a run and Scherzer didn't, but basically their lines were very similar. A basic, we can call that a dominating performance. DeGrom against the Marlins, his last start out, what the hell was that, Jake? I mean, come on, man. You know, And we've seen that from DeGrom. We've seen him dominate the Marlins two weeks ago on the Saturday night, but the start before that he wasn't very good. So is he tipping his pitches? Is it Because why does the guy who had a 1.8 ERA all of a sudden, basically he's good every other start? I don't know. Is it mechanical? Maybe. Could he be tipping his pitches to some degree? Maybe. I'm not ready to rule that out because something is happening. Um, when it comes to Cindergard, you know, well, you know what, Noah? Tomorrow's a great opportunity for you because you, the whole Thor thing and you're the man and all that kind of stuff, you're going up against the Tigers. The guy the Tigers are throwing tomorrow night has a 10 ERA. The money in Vegas will be all over the Mets in this game. Noah against the Tigers, given those circumstances. Go out there and freaking dominate them, Noah. 
That's what he's got to do. And sometimes Noah does that, and sometimes he doesn't. Matt's actually – I'm becoming a bigger Stephen Matt fan. I've always liked him, but even, even more so because he seems to have toughened up. You know, he had that one bad outing against Phillies. But I think he's been pretty consistent this year. He's been rather consistent except that one start against the Phillies. Then you look at Wheeler, again, up and down. Wheeler's had some excellent starts. He's had some bad ones. It, it, again, it, it, it's a symptom of a 500 baseball team, and that needs to straighten out. In addition to maybe, like I said earlier, bringing in, importing a bat somewhere, which I do think they need, they need to be more consistent in the rotation. So, uh, yeah, so those are my thoughts on pitching, and I'll leave it with one more thing. Um, the bullpen, I saw the statistic the other night, the bullpen as of its last 10 games, I think as through Tuesday night, had a one-point-something ERA. So the much-maligned bullpen had been pitching well. Now, I know Familia had a, had, a bad, had a bad outing. I think it was Tuesday. And I know that uh, they have a couple of runs today. But the bullpen seems to be settling in, and when Lugo comes back from the IL, it'll be that much better. One last thing we mentioned all there, the Mets cannot send him to Syracuse. He's out of options. He has to be put on the 25-man roster. So that has to be before tomorrow's game. We're going to see the first test of BBW. I don't know what he's going to do. I can't wait. You're going to DFA Davis? I, Rajai, I wouldn't do that. Um, I, you're going to do something with Gomez? Because remember, those guys can opt out as of June 1st. So you have Echeverria, Gomez, and Davis, who can all, Rajai Davis, who can all opt out as of June 1st if they're not on the Major League roster. You have Althair, who has to be put on the Major League roster. Knock yourself out, Brody. I don't know what he's going to do. I can't wait to see. Yeah. You, you, you call so, so let me uh, ask you a question, though. Do they have an extra bullpen arm right now? That they could send, that, send down? Yeah, because of all these moves, it seems like some of the, the position player moves were replaced by a bullpen arm. Am I correct? Yeah, they could. They could. Um, I think you might see an infielder go. I would think maybe they'll send Guillorme back and and use Hetcheveria as the uh, as the utility infielder. I don't know, uh, but yeah, they could do that. Uh, no, but to answer your question, they don't have an extra arm right now, but they could go one short in the bullpen. That's an option. Could they put Cespedes on a sixty day and uh, gain a spot that way? On the 40, yeah, they can, but they still have to put all there on the 20. He has to be with the Mets. He can't go to Syracuse. So they, have to have, they have to jettison a player off right, the 25-man right. roster tomorrow night. Interesting. Uh, Barry, <laughs> Barry, I agree with Rich with Matt. I think it's a matter of growing up as well. Uh, Zach Wheeler, you know, I, I anticipated more. I'm not saying he's bad. Or done mm-hmm. poorly, but I anticipated more. Uh, so the starting rotation now, I, I'll, I'll leave you with this: uh, Degrom, Syndergaard, and Wheeler have all made ten starts apiece. I think today was Matt's tenth start. I think we've been very lucky in that respect that the, the big four have made all their starts. Otherwise, we'd be even in more trouble than we are. Take it away, Gary. Yeah, without a doubt, and uh, I agree with Rich said a lot with what he said. Matt's has been, to me, other than that one start against Philadelphia, he's been the most consistent. He's really shown, uh, you know, as, as Rich said, he's toughened up, uh, getting out of these jams. He used to fold, 
you know, a couple of years ago in, in those kind of situations. And now he's, he's starting to learn how to get out of them. And he's been doing a good job in that. Wheel has been kind of up and down. Um, as far as the Grom goes, I believe the Grom's t- tipping his pitches. I think it's a combination. I think his mechanics are off, but I think he's tipping his pitches. Just the way if you watch sometimes the batters and how they react to the pitches and when, if they start going after his first pitch or whatever, it you you get the feeling, at least I get the feeling, that they know what's coming. So I think he's tipping his pitches somehow. Uh, can't tell you how, don't know why, and they're not going to tell you, but I believe that he's tipping his pitches. And I'm sure there's a mechanical thing because he's not hitting his spots all as well, too. But I think it's a combination of both. Syndergaard, I mean, I, I you know, he pitches a one-hitter and then gives up six runs the next game. He's got to find his, his middle ground. He's got to find his consistency. Uh, but he's never really been an uber-consistent pitcher, you know. Um, but I think he's got to find an identity. I, I think he is still searching for what he is. Is he a, a total power pitcher? Is he the Thor of 2015? Or is he the, the guy that got hurt in 2017 and, and uh, uh, you know, struggled? I mean, it's just it's just – he he's got to find his his himself on the pitching mound. I don't think he knows what his uh, not his job, but I don't know think he knows what his identity as a pitcher is yet. And uh, and sometimes I think he he's taking. I hate to say it, uh, uh, Matt Harvey the second, but I think sometimes he's taking this Thor thing too seriously, and. Um, <laughs> You know, much like Harvey took the Black Knight thing too seriously, I I think, and uh, he he's got to find his identity as a pitcher. And I thought that Ireland could help him by now with this, um, but I I guess not. I mean, I I don't know. Maybe he's a head case. I don't know, but he's got to do something. And I think Rich brings up a good point. He's got the Tigers. This is the time to put the pedal to the metal and show us that you, you can be the stud that you showed us in the past that you were. So um, as far as the bullpen goes, I think some of the injuries has, has actually helped the bullpen in that they had to look at a and, – and, well, the bullpen was so bad, they had to look at a, a Drew Gagnon. Gagnon, I can't say it. Uh, uh, Tyler Bashler, they had to, to look at these guys and – They've thrown them in some spots, and hopefully they'll continue to use them and move them up. You know, sometimes injuries can be a good thing because you can get playing time for guys that normally wouldn't, and maybe you find one or two that shine. Uh, and and I think that's the situation the Mets are in right now. I think it was a great job by you by wedging Islands into this conversation. Uh, pitching coach has to be held accountable at some point. Source problem, I believe, is a lack of, co- uh, excuse me, craftsmanship. But, uh, Sam, take it away, your observations of the pitching, and I'm going to give you first dibs on this question. Mickey Callaway, Edwin Diaz. The plan has been modified. He says he's going to use them for four outs now, or there will be the potential in the future that they'll use them for four outs. Uh, that being said, 
how much of that speaks of desperation and, you know, do you see over over usage ahead and how that might play out. But starting pitching, and then I'll give you first dibs on that. Uh, I mean, I, I don't even know where to begin because uh, I, I just don't <laughs> think we should take any of these things that they say at face value just because they'll say one thing, uh, like, you know, Familia is going to be eased back into it. And mind you, I had to remind myself that Lugo was out. And and also, I know you asked me to start with the starting pitching, but you kind of hit a nerve here. Um, I know that Lugo was out, but I just don't think the answer after he, you know, Familia gave up a run on Monday was to put him back into the eighth inning the next day. It just d- didn't make any sense. He's been an absolute He's been absolutely atrocious. I think it's more mental than physical with Familia. But you just, you can't, you you, you know, they're going to renege on something one way or the other. I I think that it should have been how it was the entire time. Uh, It was small sample size with Seattle not pitching him, uh, uh, you know, pitching him four four outs, excuse me. and I think that was a little bit reactionary in the first place to just make it this entire organizational mantra that they're only going to give him three outs. How can you do anything? How can you play the game without, like, as much as you can stay by the books that you as an organization are trying to figure out, you've got to be able to adjust. And it's just, like, you see it with, with, with Joe Madden, you know, won a World Series, Sorry, not Joe Madden, considering Mickey Callery was there with the Andrew Miller experiment in the fifth inning, you know, and obviously I was getting my managers mixed up with that entire thing. But I don't think that you can hold yourself to one particular way, considering this game is going to throw you a curveball, figuratively of literally. Uh and so all of these back and forths and up and downs as to exactly how we're going to do it, you know, it, it probably goes back to both the, the it, it just, it goes back to both uh, the organization being completely inept and, and, and a little inconsistent as well as Jeff meddling a little too much and thinking that he knows what's best. Um, so, Regarding regarding that stuff, I, I don't think it's necessarily going to blow up in the face. I just think they need to figure out what they're doing. And, and it's what I started saying about this team in the first place was consistency, consistency, consistency. We're all looking for it. We have to recognize when we're not being consistent and try to be as consistent as possible. And that's what this franchise needs to do. And that goes back to segueing over to what you wanted me to start with, the starting pitching. And what Gary said about Noah Syndergaard, consistency. He's got to find some sort of consistency and figure out exactly who he is. DeGrom, quite possibly tipping his pitches. You guys have convinced me in many ways. And if he, if he's off mechanically, that is what will be giving it away. I, However, I like the fire he's playing with. How annoyed. I like the annoyed DeGrom because – you know, in 2017, after all those bad starts, he was magnificent. You know, he was he was pissed off uh, enough to change. And then you had a 2018. Somehow, some way, he needs to find consistency. 
but he was barking at that umpire the other night, who, if anybody was watching, it was just back and forth and back and forth. Talk talk about consistency. There was no consistency. It was the exact same spots that were getting balls and strikes, and that's something that starting pitchers hate. It's like if you're going to call that a strike, call it a strike. If you're going to call it a ball, call it a ball. But keep calling it a ball. I don't want it. I like like you. We, we need to. You need to give us the cues. We need to figure out exactly how we're going to go about our business. If that's what how you're going to call the game. Uh, and I liked the fact that he was, had a little fire about that, and that he was not only pissed off at himself, but pissed off at the inconsistency around him. Um, and yeah, what can you say about Matt? He's been spectacular. Uh, luckily, the injury bug didn't dog him for too long. Um, and and this is a good way of bringing up something with starting pitching that I'm wondering, and you can take it wherever you want to go, uh, Mike. Um, I everybody's saying, oh, they're going to get insurance money for Cespedes. They need to invest that in Dallas Keuchel. How how, how much faith does any do any of us have that that's what they're going to do with the money? Well, you know what? I defer to Jeff Passan's article. You mentioned that the payroll was upwards of $158 million. Technically it is, but when you subtract Wright's salary and Cespedes' salary, monies which they have not reinvested into the team, their their, their present salary uh, payroll is at about $120, $125 million, give or take, you know, a couple of dollars. So, you know, you're talking at a, 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 small, a, a small market payroll. They're effectively paying $125 million in payroll presently because they never reinvested the insurance money. I hope that answers your question. Yeah, no, uh, that's a good point. And you know, they didn't do it. So you have David to think Wright of it that way. You have to think of it that way. They're only paying 125 some odd million for what they have, you know, because they just pocketed that money. They never reinvested it. They never kept their outlay at 155 upwards of 158 million. They didn't keep it that way. They pocketed that money. But that's not where I want to digress. It's not how I want to end. I want to hit the closer again because we want to wrap this up and get the Memorial Day weekend underway. Uh, so. Mr. Gary, the bullpen, Callaway, rethinking how he's going to use Diaz. Is this, you know, uh, is he going to get, if this is a joke, obviously, but is he going to get the Pedro Feliciano treatment? <laughs> you know, what kind of, <laughs> is, is, is this just going to reek of desperation? Yeah, I, I, you know, I wish sometimes he'd just keep his mouth shut. Uh, I mean, don't talk. Ah, well said. So well said. Don't don't say what you're going to do. Just do it at, at times. Because now everybody, you know, the other day they sit on the broadcast, and it is a, it, this is why it is a tough job being a manager, though. The other day they sit on the broadcast that uh, uh, Diaz wants more work, and then uh, they were winning the game. I think it was three to one or something, and. Uh, <clears throat> Excuse me. And Diaz was up in the bullpen, and then they scored. I forget what 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 game it was. They scored a couple more runs, and then Diaz doesn't come in. Now, if I forget who they brought in, but if if he blew the game, then they'd say, "Well, you should have brought Diaz in." 
if they brought Diaz in and and he held the lead and then they needed him in another game and he wasn't he couldn't go because he pitched three games in tight games, then they'd say, What did you use him in a useless game for? Um it's just it it's a tough job, but I I don't think that you should come out and say what your plans are. If you want to use Diaz as a starter in a game, then go ahead do it. But we don't have to know all of this stuff. Uh, I, I I think Mickey goes the opposite direction. He wants to please the press so much because they said you know when he got the job, how's he going to handle a New York press? And I think he's he's just sometimes says too much stuff um hold back something you don't have to tell us everything if if the question is asked you can say yeah maybe we will use them but we'll see how the situation comes about don't just say yes we're going to use them for four outs or there could be a situation where we use them just just use them for the four outs and answer the questions later uh don't say he only can be for three outs just don't Say anything sometimes. Just just use him. Um, you wouldn't give your whole game plan away to the opponents because the opponents are looking too. So they got to know you might use him. Wouldn't it be a shocker if you're in the eighth inning in a tight game and all of a sudden they roll in Diaz? They're going to go, whoa, what's this all about? Well, now it's not a surprise. Now they, they can plan for it more or less. Um, I just think they talk too much sometimes and I know we want information and as God knows there's plenty of information out there but I think certain things strategy whatnot don't tell somebody you're going to bunt all the time you don't tell them you're going to you know take the first pitch um, you just don't say anything sometimes you know Rich Rich, double speak and gibberish. There's an art to that. <laughs> Gary's right. You know, the less said, the better. But uh, how, how do you see this Callaway Edwin Diaz relationship transpiring? Well, I get, I get it. You know, I, I get that your highest leverage moment could be in the bottom of the eighth, and you have to get that out, and then bring the guy out for the ninth. But my questions are the following. Okay. Um, how comfortable is Diaz doing it? It's, it's something I believe I saw he did four times last year. So it's not like this guy has done this his whole career and, you know, and it's not a big deal. Uh, to me, it is a big deal. The second thing is the arm only has so many bullets in it, unless you're Nolan Ryan, freak of nature. The arm only has so many bullets in it. And how often are we going to do this to this guy? I mean, are we going to have him coming in for four outs regularly are we, why are we treating these like playoff games? That kind of, you know, that, that terminology kind of uh, concerned me a bit. Why are we doing all this when we realize that eventually it's going to take a toll on him or anybody else? My thing is this. What about shoring up the eighth inning and not having to worry about it? And I would much rather, and I know this brings us back to a conversation we've had on and on and on, bring in a Kimbrel lock down the eighth inning, and then you don't have to do this with Diaz, put him in situations where he clearly, it's not his bread and butter, and eventually, let's say they do make the postseason, and he's going to have a lot more innings on his arm if they use him for four outs consistently, and and it could come back and bite you later. So rather than trying to force Diaz into something that, and calling these playoff games in May and have the guy throw all these pitches, doing something, going up, you know, getting a four, getting an out, sitting down, coming back, doing something he's not accustomed to doing. That seems like a lot of lot of 
lot going on there. I'd rather just try to address the eighth inning. I think that's the better tack. Well said, sir. Uh, that said, I have nothing else. I'll pass it around. Anybody have any outstanding issues before we get to our final word? Going once. Going twice. Very well. Off to the final word. Sam, I will start with you, sir. I think I'm going to be consistent with my final word, consistency. That's all we're looking for. It's all we need. And I think we've seen before that this team can have quite a long stretch of success, whether it's under Mickey, whether it's under the Alderson era, Terry Collins, whatever. They can be a good team, and they need to start to be more consistent. Rich, what say you, my friend? Show me something. I know that's three words, but show me something. Um, okay, you, you swept the Nats, and, and the question on all of our minds is, is it that the Mets have found something, which we all hope for, or is it the Nats bullpen is really that bad? Okay, Nats are gone. Do this to the Tigers. Beat up another team you're supposed to beat up. And more importantly, go on the road to L.A. and to Arizona, and don't embarrass yourself. You know, you've got seven games. It's a four-game series in L.A., three in Arizona. Don't go any worse than three and four out there. So, so let's not – let's make this Nat sweep stand up to the next several series. So show me something. Mr. Gary Mack, thank you once again for taking time out, joining the Mets Team Podcast. We love having you on. Uh, your final word, sir. Mr. Mack. Hold on. I think we had a technical glitch. Mr. Mack, are you with uh, us? Yes, I am. All <laughs> right. We've got uh, – I asked the gentleman. I don't know at what point you dropped off, but I asked the, the gentleman if there was any uh, final issues that we didn't tackle that you'd like to address. Otherwise, you can go right ahead and jump into your final words, sir. No, uh, just that uh, I want to see some consistency, like Rich said, and uh, if they have three series. It's going to be very important to see what they can do, and they have to uh, show us that they're not as bad as they were in Miami and not as good as they were uh, against Washington. And, uh, guys, I'd like to send out some get-well wishes. Gary? Technical issues again. Yeah, I still show them on the dashboard, but uh, I don't know. Perhaps if I click them out, maybe he'll call back in. Uh, In the meantime, I'll get to my final word. You know what? I'm going to do just that. Maybe he'll call back in. Maybe you guys want to shoot him a text real quick. Uh, My word is struggle. I'm in a struggle between, and Rich, you can understand this a little bit better. Between the, the struggle between the ideal versus, you know, the pragmatic. I remember the big red machine. I remember the Yankees of 77 and 78. I remember the swinging A's, for that matter, before the big red machine. Uh, obviously, the 86 Mets, uh, the back-to-back Toronto Blue Jays champions, uh, the Yankees again. You know, I've seen some pretty dominant teams. 
I recognize, or at least I feel like I recognize the ideal. What you know when you have a championship-caliber team on your hands. But here we are. It is what it is. We're 24 and 25, and we're only four and a half games behind the Phillies. And yet, I still think there's something with this team that, you know, can coalesce into at least a, a competitor for the division title in a very parity-ridden, you know, four-team race. That said, Gary Mack is back with us. If you will get back to your final, if you will get back to your final word, sir, the floor is yours. Well, I just wanted to uh, send some get well wishes to Ed Cranepool and uh, to Ron Darling, both uh, recovering from uh, surgery, and I hope everything uh, went well. Apparently, it did, but uh, we want to see them back and around New York. And congratulations to the '69 Mets. Uh, and I hope that uh, everybody will take a listen to Mets Musings at MetsMusings.com. And I interviewed uh, this season, I've interviewed uh, Art Shamsky is on there of the 69 Mets. I've interviewed Ron Darling with his new book out. We talk about that, and we talk a little bit about the Len Dykstra situation. Uh, and uh, Tim Healy of Newsday is on there. Wayne Randazzo I interviewed. So lots of good interviews on there. I'm working on Ron Swoboda next. Uh, so uh, please check it out at MetsMusings.com. And thank you for your time once again, sir. So appreciate and it. thank you for Sam, having me. Take, absolutely. Sam, take us home the only way we know how. Let's go Mets. Thank you, everybody. Appreciate it. Have a great holiday weekend. Great holiday weekend. Happy Memorial Day to all. Take the time in between barbecue and baseball. Just keep somebody in mind. Keep the guys in mind and the girls, for that matter. Uh, And have a safe holiday. And good night, everybody. Let's go Mets. Good night, everybody. Good Good night.